Okay, you know, so it's really good to see you again. Um, you were mentioning a couple of things. One was uh, from uh, something that you read from Titan Han that uh, can be very, very excellent instructions for Asians and can get Westerners in a whole bunch of trouble. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, totally. Okay. So let's go over that. What um, Titnahan had said was is that don't hide or, or run away from the dukkha, but rather investigate it. Okay. And what the Westerner will hear, well, oh, investigate it. That means that I've got to take up all my poop and put it through a laboratory and keep it for years and years. Perhaps we could freeze dry it, but we got to keep it, okay? And we bring it up and we look at it, and then later we bring it up again and look at it again, and then we bring it up again and look at it again. Somewhere in there, there's got to be a middle path. So one extreme is, is to not look at it, and the other one is, is just to keep on looking and looking and looking, okay? Basically, uh, the the... The point in the middle is the point when uh, we see dukkha as dukkha. That's when we can do something about it. And that uh, the thing that you had mentioned was very excellent in the sense that you recognize that your uncomfortableness is because you want something. Well, I talk about that to every student. That's the main issue. But in fact, you could say wanting. The Pali word, by the way, is tanha. And the word tanha uh, is closely related to thirst. Okay, when you get really, really thirsty, you really want to go do something about it. Okay, and so it's this thirst that we have. Now, surprisingly enough, the second noble truth calls about um, greed and ill will. But ill will and greed are basically the same thing with the same feeling. Whether you're trying to push or to pull, it's the pushing and the pulling that is um, the, the unsatisfactoriness. And so beginning to see that and recognizing that when it's wanting something, either wanting to get rid of something or wanting to get a hold of something, in that case, um, a very actually um, common way of referring to it is, is that when we don't want anything, that means that we're okay, that we're whole. But when we see something that we like, we go beyond that liking into now we want it. And the wanting, it means that I would be better off without it, which means that there is something inherently not quite perfect right now about me. And we can go downhill from that is to to the point of there being a hole inside or a, a feeling of emptiness, a feeling of longing, a feeling of really wanting things um, that uh, 
Access gets us into a lot of trouble in several different regards, and one of them would be um, saying that, well, we want happiness. Because Anapanasati is big on joy, it's big on gladdening the mind. But gladdening the mind is completely different than wanting happiness. Yeah. Okay. When we want joy, that's already meaning that whatever we do have, we're criticizing. It's not good enough. And that is the dukkha, is to saying that things are not good enough. And so coming into that position of everything is all right right now, everything is okay right now, that's the gladdening part that actually does bring upon satisfaction, and with the satisfaction will come the joy. But trying to get joy when you're dissatisfied with the joy you've got doesn't work. Be (laughs) careful with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I just had this experience of being like, of just seeing very directly that like my suffering is being caused by my wanting. And that as soon as I stopped wanting, the suffering stopped too. <laughs> um, and that is easy enough to do. We just have to do it over and over again, and sometimes in rapid succession. Yeah, It's almost like every breath is an opportunity for the mind to go grasping and clinging after something. And so we have to continuously remind ourselves, no, everything's okay right now, everything's fine. Yeah, totally. Um, but then I felt like I had fallen into, looking about it retrospectively, I feel like I fell into being like, oh my God, I had this experience, like I want to feel that again or whatever, you know? So then I just fell into more wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was compounded by, you know, stress from other things that were happening in my life and uh, external circumstances that just made stressful <laughs> for a stressful time. Um, but there- yeah. go ahead. Um, then I kind of, I don't know, I got out of it though. Um, I, I was, I was watching one of your videos. I think you talking to Anna and, uh, the song UK and saying that like a word that we have to learn is enough, you know? So that way, cause it was a multiple pers- uh, parts of my life that I was experiencing want and thus experiencing suffering. And just going through all these parts of my life and being like, I have enough of this. I have enough of this. I don't need it anymore, you know? Just <laughs> mm-hmm. totally great. Um, and uh, just super freeing, yeah. Actually, I just thought about that, that the word enough actually is a fairly good mantra. E on the in-breath and enough on the out-breath. <laughs> enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> right. Um, many times, as you were mentioning, I'll, I'll use the phrase beginner's luck. Now, beginner's luck is common in all kinds of things, uh, even in pools. 
beginner's luck in the sense that uh, the the young man, uh, especially if there's an old guy sitting, take your time, spot the ball, look at what you're doing, take your shot, and he gets it. All right, and then he gets excited. Yeah. <laughs> and when he's excited, now he's going to shoot the second ball, and he misses that one. Why? Because he did something different this time. Before he was slow and methodical and making sure of what he was doing, but then when he actually did it, now the success, the the old success is clouding the next new shot. And boy, does that happen a lot in med meditation for students. That. Uh, uh, they will hear from the teacher, oh, all you have to do is relax. And then they say, yeah, that's right, let me relax. And then they start to feel really good. And they feel really good. And then we remember that. Okay, wow, this feels really, really good. And then next time they come and they say, okay, I want to feel really good. Wait a minute. We got that way by relaxing. Yeah. But you're not saying relax the second time. You say, I want good. I want to feel good. I want to feel good. And those are the kind of thoughts that we have. And so the beginner's look um, and success oftentimes derails the student because they want something now the second time. They didn't even know what they wanted the first time, and so they naturally got it. Second time, they know what they want. And they want it really wrong, really strongly. They really want it. Yeah, totally. Then they don't get it. <laughs> And if you think about it, it's because the patterns of the mind are completely different now. Before the patterns of the mind was just relax, relax, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to work out. And now there's the critical of relax, okay, I'm relaxed, but I was, I felt better last time. Yeah. And so we go into that um, critical thinking rather than continuing with the nurturing thinking. So be aware of that with each breath, breathing in long, relax and breathing out long, really relax, long, deep in breath and just stay with the relaxation. And the comfort and security will come along. And then the satisfaction that in fact, great joy or the really wow feeling generally comes a bit later and that then that becomes the object of the meditation itself, the joy. And as it becomes the object of meditation itself, we recognize that, wait a minute, that, that level of excitement and joy and enthusiasm is not as relaxing as it could be. Now, remember, we got there from relaxation. We relaxed ourselves into a state of um, great relaxation and then the accomplishment and the joy comes with that. And so we begin to get uh, um, elated, excited. We can see that in all kinds of real places. One would be on New Year's Eve in, in uh, New York. They have the dropping of the ball in Times Square and people count down and count down and it gets down to zero. And then what happens? 
everybody erupts. Everybody is joyful. It's almost like they've been planning on waiting it out and not being joyful until the ball drops. The ball is their source of joy. And now everybody just yee-haw and blows their horns and all of that. But about a minute later, what happens is, is that we fall into all anxiety, hugging each other, rocking back and forth to the music, much more relaxed. Okay. The same thing happens at a football game. When the star makes the touchdown, what does he do? He dances, he throws his arms in the air. The crowd does too, especially if they're cheering for him. The other team, they don't make so much noise, but the winning team and all of their crowd, they are enthusiastic. A lot of cheering going on. What none of them recognize is, is that each one of them became excited and enthusiastic and joyful out of something that happened within their own mind. But the football didn't do it. The touchdown didn't do it. If you don't believe me, think about the other team. And the fact that they don't have the same reaction. Well, it was a touchdown. Why shouldn't everybody be really joyful about a touchdown? No, it's got to be my touchdown. Right. And so they get all excited about it. And this is also that's true there in meditation that when the relaxation comes and the, um, the joy starts to build, it becomes quite enthusiastic. And that a, uh, a part of that enthusiasm has to do the Pali word is Sama Sankapa and the other Pali word is Shraddha or Sada. Um, Let's not talk about R's and Y's in Pali versus uh, um, Sanskrit. But uh, Shraddha is the Sanskrit and Sada it would be the, uh, the, the, the Pali translation of it. Um, but anyway, that means confidence. If you can continue to relax time after time after time, you begin to build confidence. Oh, it's easy enough to me, for me to relax. And that skill of the relaxation also brings about that attitude of the winner. And that winner's attitude is also the same attitude that the guy had when he made that touchdown. And so we can see that we uh, is quite natural then for us as human beings, even in meditation practice, is to go through that same human sequence that we go through in the sport. Okay, and so uh, basically uh, the preparation, isn't that interesting now? Is that, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and so the relaxation comes and with the relaxation and the knowledge that I can do this, just like the guy who was making the touchdown while he was running like heck down the field, he didn't know whether he was going to get to the end or not. He could be knocked over shot, tackled, all kinds of things could happen before he gets to the goal. But now that he's got to the goal, what does he feel? He feels elation. He feels exuberance. He feels like he did it, the win, right? 
this is also part of what practice of meditation is. This is, in fact, what happens in the first jhana. Is that exuberance that that builds that uh, uh, I can do it? That is on top of the sukha. The uh, the Pali word for sukha is uh, it has the quality of safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction. Pity has all of that same stuff, but on top of the pity, you want to add that wow that exuberance that yee-haw that uh, uh, level of it that uh, becomes now the focal point that we feel really good and now those feelings become the thing that needs to be looked at and those feelings by the way have then to do with the shraddha or the um, uh, the can-do attitude the confidence. Now, uh, in many places, Radha is translated out of the Pali into the word faith. We're not talking about faith here. Faith is not the right answer or not the right translation for Shraddha. Okay. Uh, that some Buddhists I've heard even say, well, yes, there's got to be some faith in the very beginning. The answer to that is no. We start directly from evidence. You can leave faith to Christianity because they've got no evidence. In other words, the preachers say to be good people, but the preachers themselves are shysters. Okay? The grandmothers are saying, okay, kids, you've got to be good, but the grandmothers themselves are not good. (laughs) And so you have to take it on faith because none of the Christians are able to demonstrate that which they're trying to show or that which they're trying to sell, all right? But with Buddhism, it's completely different than that. We need proof. We need documentation. We need evidence. And that's what we're gaining here is we're gaining that evidence. And so the evidence, one of the ways of saying it is by having a conversation with someone who is exuberant, that exuberance rubs off. That's part of the, the, uh, the practice, that if you can see that other people are really gung-ho about meditation, then it must have something to it. And when uh, you see the changes that people go through, and quite often the students will say that even my family knows that something has changed, You're beginning to practice differently. And so... This is the budding down or the very beginning of Shraddha, which is not faith. It's confidence from the get-go. If he can do it, I can do it. If he can laugh, I can laugh. If he can take a deep breath, I can take a deep breath. If Vikabuddha Dasa can uh, chuckle, I can chuckle. Right? That's the kind of way that we're looking at it. That's what Shraddha is. But then we begin to recognize, yes, I can chuckle. And now the Shraddha takes on a new form because it's now not just borrowing something from someone else. Now you're actually doing it yourself. But that's also, as we were pointing out before, a little bit dangerous because once somebody gets the feeling that I can do this, 
now they begin to demand it again rather than going through the same sequence of events. In other words, if you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you get that. And people say, oh, yeah, well, I don't need to do any of this. Let me just do that and this, and I'll go get it, right? And so that's why um, the be the beginner's luck doesn't continue, but people go into a dip, which is what you were talking about also, that there's a dip in there. And, and basically uh, what happens this happens in many, many cases. It happens with music. But in fact, right after the recital, kids don't practice. <laughs> right? He practiced it, he practiced it, he practiced uh, all through, you know, April and, and uh, into May. And now at the end of May, he has his piano recital. Guess what? June, July, August, no piano. <laughs> and another example of that is going on a diet. When people start to lose weight, they begin to feel good about themselves. And then because they feel good about themselves, they say, well, let me treat myself with this donut. And it goes downhill from there. <laughs> the diets, you have to keep redoing it, keep renewing it. Today, we're on a diet. Tomorrow we're on a diet. The next day we're on a diet. Get your joy from being on a diet rather than, um, isn't that amazing that people do that, is they are on a diet and they reward themselves for losing weight by, by eating something that's not on the diet. Well, we do that with Anapanasati too. We have wholesome thoughts, wholesome thoughts, wholesome thoughts. We say, hot diggity dog, I'm really good at having a wholesome thoughts. Now let's have a few unwholesome thoughts. Just <laughs> <reward> ourselves. <laughs> yeah, totally. So this is also something to keep in mind. All right. And also you can recognize that maybe it's okay for the piano student who did a whip bang recital take three months off. The question is, is in September as school starts again, is he going to get back into it and go for another full year at it? Okay, that it really is okay for you to take relaxing breaks and go back into the dukkha so that you can then see it again clearly and recognize, oh, I'm not practicing right now and look what a mess I've gotten myself into. Totally. Yeah, totally. And so this seesaw or this up and down thing that we're talking about is is very, very common in all kinds of things. You can see it in sports. You can see it in martial arts. That the guy does a big, big demonstration in martial arts and then he takes a week off. So. Uh, knowing that things are in cycles like this, we can then accept those cycles rather than doing it the way that we normally do. And that is, is that we practice, we get some beginner's luck and then we uh, want it again and then we don't have it. We get over that and then we come back and we start practicing correctly and start getting great benefit from it. 
And then we say, my, what a good boy am I. Look how much weight I've lost or look how much dukkha I've lost. Let's go have a chocolate cake of dukkha. <laughs> and that's the normal way we do it. The question is, are you, when are you going to wake up? Are you going to wake up when you've got half a chocolate cake in your face? Or are you going to wake up as you start that first bite? Are you going to wake up after you're sick, having eaten the whole cake? <laughs> so beware of this, because this is just normal ups and downs of practice. And it's okay that you go into the dips, but when you do, that's the time to really experience, wow, Look how much suffering I can cause myself if I don't practice. This is this is going downhill. How far downhill do we have to go before we make that uphill climb? All right. And this is actually something that you can see that's built into some of the methods, especially the Mahasi method, when they talk about this thing called the dark night of the soul. In other words, you haven't had a dark night of the soul yet, but some do. What does that mean? That means that they get themselves so high on meditation that when they let the stuff come back in, that in fact they didn't really clean it out. What really happened was they got very, very excellent in uh, investigation, but have very few skills in um, right effort to remove the dukkha. But that's interesting about that comment you heard from Tetnahan, because he never did say that you investigate that dukkha so that you can see it as dukkha and remove it. That's the part that it's almost like that the Asians understand that explicitly. Okay, all we have to do is to say the fire is hot, put your hand in and test it. We don't ever have to tell the student that after you stick your hand in the fire and test it, you better remove your hand from the fire. The student does that automatically if they're Asian. For some reason, the Westerners just keep their hands stuck in that fire. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so we have to remind the, the Westerners, no, once you see the dukkha, come out of it. Pull yourself out. That, and that we could do that easily enough by recognizing the kind of thoughts that we have, like these critical thoughts that keep things hot. So this is the way then that we can go ahead and and practice is knowing that there's going to be these ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs, but enjoy the whole trip rather than only enjoying the high notes and then suffering through the low ones. No, we can say that, okay, when we take a break, how soon are we going to recognize that this is dukkha again so that we can start, never mind, start again, never mind, start again, that we don't have to get ourselves into deep states of fearless, fearfulness, misery, disgust, um, despair, and a great longing to get out of it. We're actually practicing that right from the very beginning. So we don't need to do any of that stuff now. Not anymore. We need to see it as it's going down into that stuff without having to hit rock bottom anymore. 
Now we can just say, all right, there it goes. All right, come back up. <laughs> so the question then is, how soon can you catch it? Knowing that you're on a, a let's say, an off moment. How soon can you catch that stuff? That you're in a downward spiral, that things have gotten kind of ordinary again. Because when you do that, then you can immediately recognize, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I could be happy instead. And, and it's almost like very easily to bring yourself back. If you don't let it go too long, the quicker that you can catch it, the easier it is to stop. That's very much like um, imagine that the uh, uh, the drain is stopped up and the and the water is spigot on. The longer the water spigot is on, the more of a mess you've got to clean up. It's better to go turn that water spigot off quickly, so that now the mopping up is easier. This is the one of the qualities of sati is how fast can you bring that stuff back after the break? Can you bring it back? So that those dips don't have to be so dukkha. But yes, just like a dieter is going to eat a donut occasionally. Yep, just like the piano uh, student is going to forget his piano lessons for a week. That kind of stuff is going to happen. That's normal. Congratulate yourself for seeing those cycles. And to recognize just because I'm going up doesn't mean I'm going to keep going up. And just because I've gone down doesn't mean I'm going to keep going down. That's the, the delusion of childhood thinking to where the wisdom is. No, we can turn this thing around any time. But it's really up to us. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I it's easy for me to get caught up on the idea that um, the immediacy of the idea that we can just throw dukkha out at the same time we have to deal, you know, there's going to be times when there is a lot more dukkha and that process of throwing out, though it is immediate. I wouldn't say there's a lot more. That's the typical way of thinking. Another way of thinking yet never mind it'll come back not that there's more of it because that assumes there's a great big pile no there's not a great big pile of dukkha you just invent a new batch of it <laughs> for some reason we've gotten that whole mentality of accumulation rather than recognizing no things come up and then they die they come up and then they die they come up and then they die you can example of that you can see that and you, you've heard the game and know of the game of whack-a-mole sure. right and the kid will say there's too many moles <laughs> no it's just that all you have to do is hit one of them when it comes up are you fast enough to hit it when it comes up and that's all you've got to do you don't have to worry about how many molds there are all you have to do is see one when it comes up and and whack it right but going back to the sink analogy like you said sometimes it you know if you let it go for a long time or whatever without dealing with it 
there's going to be more water. A lot of moles need to be whacked now. You got a lot of. <laughs> yeah. But those woes came up one at a time and one at a time and one at a time and one at a time. And all of that time you were getting yourself into more and more unwholesome state. Totally. I guess it's just it's about knowing because I don't think anyone ever truly like wishes to go further into an unwholesome state, you know, but they often can see having more unwholesome thoughts, though they don't see them as being unwholesome thoughts. They just see them as being thoughts that will get them out of those unwholesome thoughts, but they're just more unwholesome thoughts. So it really is a matter of coming back to what is truly wholesome and finding that out again and again, I think. I wonder why this is so, it's so clear and obvious once we understand it. And you can see that the Buddha harped on it. I mean, I got sutta after sutta after sutta talking about it as hindrances, talking about it as obstructions, talking about it as right view, talking about it as gladdening the mind, and all of these various suttas, talking about it in the sense of right view, uh, or right thought, uh, two kinds of thought in sutta number 19, so it's all over the place. Now, in the West, what we hear from psychologists, we don't hear the psychologists talk about unwholesome thoughts versus wholesome thoughts. We don't hear that from psychiatrists. We don't hear that in school. We don't hear that in engineering school. We don't hear that any place. We don't even hear it in Christianity, and you'd assume that the religions have, would have had figured that out. Thoughts of God versus thoughts of devil seems to be the right way to go. And yet they don't teach that. That at best, they teach prayer which means, to me, it seems that prayer is nothing but sucking up to God, wanting him to change his plan, rather than congratulating God for what a marvelous plan he's got going. Well, I suppose they might have a certain degree of it, like Christianity might have the idea of sinful thought and whatnot, sinful thought versus non-sinful thought. Ah, but they don't have a practice. Mm-hmm. To say, okay, let's get those things out of the mind. Let's get those things out of the mind. Let's get those things out of the mind. Let's have some wholesome thoughts. Let's have some more wholesome thoughts. This is not practiced. Even never- in the psychologists, they tell the students the right thing to do, but they don't tell the students to go home and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they'll say all your problems are because your daddy beat you when you were 11 years old, but they don't go home. They don't tell the student, go home and stop having thoughts about your dad beating you and start <laughs> having thoughts about making friends with your dad. But they don't say that. This is something that just, just seems to be missing. And so in Buddhism, it's just kind of even though people get really deep into Buddhism, they miss this point. Totally. Absolutely. And so this is the real thing that we need to do is to recognize that you have a choice. Every thought that you have is this going to be a wholesome thought or an unwholesome thought. And I think also going back to like even outside of the realm of thoughts, just going into like, you know, being with your body and being like letting it relax or whatever, you know, I mean, that's wholesome in itself, of course, right? Obviously, but yeah, that to me is also such an important thing that I, I totally just do not, uh, do not recognize. It's hard to recognize sometimes, really. 
Mm-hmm. How to, if you're not used to it, you know, it's it's not a it's not something that just obvious. It's not something that's obvious. Yeah, but it's not. A, yeah, let's go. <laughs> well, now it's becoming more obvious because now you're looking. Yeah, totally. totally. And the more you look, the more you're seeing. And um, rather than if we if we see dukkha and then wallow in it, that's not helpful. That actually we need to see it before we get stuck in it. To see it quickly so that we don't mess with it. I mean, one one mind moment's enough. No need to dwell and dwell and worry and and uh, fits around. As soon as we see that, oh. I don't have to think about that. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like um, from our last talk about that, that really helped me a ton. Um, just the idea of like, why create these horrible situations in your head about things that didn't happen? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've been so much better about like, I've had so many times like, where it's just like, I, I think it was just something so horrible. And then it's just like, I just start laughing because it's like, oh, it's so fun that, that I that I think of this and I don't and I don't have to, you know, like, I don't know, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. it's just well, not, congratulations it's really, for that. Yeah, Continue totally. to congratulate yourself for being able to see. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, it's continue. Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's it'd be easy as hell to fall into that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulate yourself, but then uh, rather than resting on the laws, we say we can do this. We can continue to do this. That we will get lax. But notice it before we head for Skid Row. If we don't, it's going to go back down. Yeah, let's catch it quick and so that we can make it easier. That's the best thing to say. And so, yeah, there's going to be up and down. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. When um, when you give yourself permission to screw up, it becomes a learning experience. In our society, we are told and uh, learned from childhood, you're not supposed to screw up. All right, and so we go around hiding our screw ups because we're not supposed to screw up. All right, the teaching of the Buddha is completely opposite of that. Be very, very pleased at your screw ups because that's your education. We learn by making mistakes, we do not learn by doing it right every time. It does not, and in fact, if we do it right every time, we haven't learned anything. <laughs> It's such a wonderful attitude. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Uh, an example of that is with chess. Have you ever played chess? Yeah, sure. Okay. So you do know that one of the things is, is that the uh, beginner wants to play against people who are better than he is. And that's not just true with the beginner, that in fact, uh, even an old master wants to not play with Beginners. I remember I was on the chess team at, in university, and the guys who were the best at it didn't even want to play the newbies in the team. Yeah, totally. 
don't want to play you guys. No, you got to go through the ranks before you can get up to play with me. And that's that's uh, uh, that that point that, that we're making um, is that if we um, mess around. In other words, if I'm so good at chess that I could beat these guys easily every time, I'm not going to learn much of anything about chess. But if I if I'm playing people who are better than I am, I got to really get in there and look at what's going on and look at the game and whatnot like that. That's when we're really going to learn. Okay, so ability to make mistakes means that we have to stop being critical of ourselves about making mistakes and start nurturing. It's okay, you screwed that up. That's all right. You'll learn next time. You'll figure it out. Yeah, totally. A, a music teacher I really like says that whenever you make a mistake, you just say, how fascinating. Because <laughs> 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 it truly is. It's when you learn. <laughs> I mean, that's you. So, and that's the time to learn is when these cycles and we go up and then we get really good at our practice and then we start skating and it goes downhill that's the learning period time that's the time to learn is not when we're on our highs we got the, the the value of learning getting up there from the last time now we have to see what's going on in the new way aha now i catch this thing in a new way can see it differently now. I, th I thought it was a bear and it's a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, being um, willing and happy to see our mistakes and to catch them makes our practice much more enjoyable by itself, giving ourselves permission to mess up. It's okay to mess up. Nothing is that important anyway. But in fact, that's where things get um, difficult for us is the messing up is not the issue. The issue is messing up something that's important. Uh, one of the examples that I have of that is the little girl really, really loves her doll. She's got several Barbies, but the Barbie dolls that she have are the knockoff Barbie dolls from um, the tie five and dime junk. And the little girl undresses them and takes the hair off and pulls the legs off and she's just having a ball with her dogs. And her aunt says, aha, let's buy her a real Barbie, $60. And she comes and gives that child a toy and the first thing the child does is start to address it. And the aunt says, what are you doing? That's a $60. No, it, it's important to the aunt. To the child, it's just another toy to play with. A dollar is not so important, but $60 toy, that's important. And you see where that comes in. Okay, so make, making sure that our mistakes are mistakes that are not important. And then they can be learning experience because nothing's really all of that important anyway. I think that, that if, if we could say it this way, that's the problem with modern philosophy is 
they took the toys of the old philosophers and made those toys important. Yeah, totally. That's a fucking yeah. Where they're not important at all. They're just toys to play with. <laughs> totally, yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> So let your mind be a toy to play with. Yeah, it's going to screw up. It's it's a human mind. I mean, my goodness, uh, we've got laptops nowadays because we recognize the human brain is just not all of that up to scratch. A really clear example of that is that you know that uh, you've probably seen them, but uh, there are videos that are on file, and you can have a video file of a of a movie on your laptop, right? And you've probably seen that movie maybe once, twice, three, four times. We can play it a hundred times. And now the question is, do you remember every line of dialogue? Do you remember every note of the music? Do you remember what was every frame that was on that video? The answer is no, we can't do that. But the computer can. The computer got much better memory than we do. The human memory is quite shoddy. And yet we somehow survive. The question is, are you going to survive happily with a shoddy memory? Or are you going to survive miserably with a shoddy memory? Because shoddy memory is shoddy memory. That's human. <laughs> and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. That's human. Can you be a happy human making shoddy, uh, making mistakes with a shoddy mind and shoddy memory? Or are you going to be a happy human? Because you're not going to become a superhuman. You're going to stay an ordinary human, but you can be a happy ordinary human. <laughs> That's the choice. And so that whole idea is a major part of the path. That's actually, um, I would say that that's the point between the path of the soda pond and the fruit of the soda pond. Because still on the path of the soda pond, we suffer from our mistakes. But part of the fruit of soda pond is, is that even our mistakes are joyful. Even our mistakes are learning opportunities. We've got no troubles now. We've got no problems. Forgive me. I don't know what soda pond means. <laughs> the word soda pond has the, has the term uh, translated into English as the stream enterer. Okay. And what the stream enterer means is is that the one who has this has uh, removed three fetters but the fetters that we're removing uh take time there's a progression that happens the first fetter is the fetter of personality view and that the major point of personality view is the distinction between can you change or can you not change Christianity teaches you can't change. Uh, except you take Jesus as your savior, you know, that's the only way to be saved. Uh, in Romans, uh, Paul wrote, God is good. Who do you think you are? Only God is good. You can't be good. You, you need a savior, okay? The same thing then happens with medical science. Even though the doctors are trying to get people to go into preventive medicine and take care of themselves, the people don't want to. They would rather wait until they're sick and then go get the doctor to fix them. 
Same thing with psychology, in fact. The client goes to the psychologist and he says, okay, fix me. I'll pay you money, fix me, All right? <laughs> Doesn't happen. <laughs> Doesn't happen. But when we are on the, the spiritual path, that means that number one point, I can change. It's actually a, an elimination of doubt because not only can I change, but that it is possible to change. Not only does change kind of a remote nebulous kind of stuff, but it can be done. This is actually an attitude that I can change versus the attitude of, well, I, yeah, people can change, but it's really hard. And I'm not sure that I'm up to the task is how most people start. Then in fact, you could say that the lowest level is the level of doubt in the sense that we recognize that, that we've got a mess, but we're looking for somebody else to help us to clean it up. We go to a psychologist or a priest or a doctor or a lawyer or an Indian chief or somebody to help me out. Basically, what that means is we're looking for a substitute mommy because when we were in diapers, we got our mommy to take care of everything. And that's what God's job is. His job is just to, you know, fix everything for me so that I can have a good life. That's why we pray, hey, God, change your plan. I'm not happy. (laughs) 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 Oh, true, yeah. Okay, so this point about the doubt about who is going to fix it, I mean, we walk into a room. Let's just say that you walked into the room and the place was a real mess. I mean, tables overturned and the bookshelf is over and the books are all over the floor and there's just a lot of mess in there. What's the first question we ask? Who made this mess? Who did this? Why is that asked? Because we're looking for somebody else to clean it up. Instead of recognizing, hey, I found this mess. Let me clean it up. I can have fun doing it. All right. So that's the first item of doubt. The doubt of who can we get to fix the mess. The second level of doubt, once we come to the understanding, ain't nobody going to fix this mess. Now the question is, except for me, but am I up to the task? This is now the first step on the noble path is when the student says, yes, I am up to the task. No matter how obstructed the mind gets, I can clean it out. That's my task. I can do this. All right. Now, along with that comes the second fetter, which is a fetter of Sila Bhatta Paramasa, which means not just my relationship with my mind, but the relationship with the world and the fact that the world I have brought into the mind. Instead of looking at how things should be the way just by seeing it, we in fact attach to an old set of laws or rules or rituals or the way that things should be. An example of that would be standing in line. 
we were taught to stand in line when we were in first grade or maybe even before then. Okay, and so everybody lines up. Guess what? In Thailand, people don't stand in line. Standing in line is not a Thai thing. And I found that out the hard way. <laughs> Trying to get the visa stamped, moving from uh, Malaysia to Thailand, and the train stops. And the, and the, uh, the immigration uh, police, the, uh, the Malay police are there, and they've got this little stall, two or three of them with a little window. And in this little window is as many arms with a passport on it as could get their arms into the window. So this guy's got his arm and we've got five, six, seven, eight, nine passports. And the guy who's doing the immigration, he just picks a passport right here, fills it out, puts it back in that hand and picks another one like this. And guess what? All of the Thai people and all the Malaysians get all of their visa work done, wickety split. And all the time, all the Ferrari standing in line, wondering what, why all the commotion at the front of the line. Why are you standing in line? We're taught to stand in line. It's a morally uh, reprehensible thing to cut in line, to cut in front. Right. And so when I go to the boat, uh, the last time that I uh, went to Koh Samui, it's, it's been a while now. But when I went over to Koh Samui, uh, uh, the, um, they got a high-speed catamaran. And it's got a mixture of Thai and Westerners. But um, the, the Westerners, when they see the boat coming, everybody gets in line, right? They're standing out in the hot sun and three, four, five minutes, and then the boat actually docks, and we have to wait for all of the other people that are on the boat to get off the boat, because that's how elevators and boats work. You let people off before your next people come in. And just when they begin to get straggling, when there's almost everybody is off the boat, a whole bunch of us, including the ties, will rush right to the front of the line and go right in. All these people have been standing in line for 10 or 15 minutes out in the hot sun, and they're still standing in line for 10, 15 minutes while we were sitting over yonder. <laughs> but when it was time to go in, we just go right in. Why is that? I guess that, I mean, we were taught to stand in line. I stopped standing in line years ago. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't. I had never thought about it as being just this straight cultural. It's fact. a rule. Standing in line is a rule. And people who stand in lines have to do a lot of waiting, and they're following the rules. While the wise ones, they just walk right up. Not following those silly rules. <laughs> totally. I mean, obviously we can see like there being aspects of respect that will come into this. Like you don't want to just push your way in front of someone who's, I don't know. But we didn't push our way in front of anybody. <laughs> we didn't go into the line and then try to steal our way through the line because people who are doing that have the rule to stand in line and they're breaking that rule. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who don't have the rule at all. We never got into the line. We went right to the door. Don't stand in line. Go to the door. 
that's how it goes. I mean, um, so this is Siva Bhatta Paramasa, but we can think of it in the sense that we can take all of the rules that we have, thousands of rules. I mean, the IRS has, what, 80,000 pages of rules? You take all of the rules there are and substitute them with the Buddha's rule. The Buddha only had one rule. Guess what it was? Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Precisely. That's <laughs> our new rule. That's the easy way to live. In this moment, let's have as least amount of suffering as possible. Right? And so why should I stand in line with all of those people when we can go right to the head of the line? Now, the question is, who's going to say something about it? If this was a ticker taker in the United States or whatnot, he would say, go stand in line. But the ties don't have that anyway. So the, this guy goes and he ends the ticket. Sure, I'll take it. I don't believe in lines either. It's the Westerners who were standing in line. The ties accept me right through because I know that they don't have that rule. <laughs> All right. So this is an important thing that we recognize that we can look at what's going on and see that some things are appropriate in some situations and not appropriate in others. So breaking the line is easy to do when you're in Thailand, but when you're in the West, you might cause suffering by going to the head of the line because all of those people are going to be upset. So that's the rule, Dukkha, Dukkha, and that'll get you out of every situation. You don't have to remember, oh, you're supposed to be polite to police because you can see if I'm not polite to the police, there's going to be dukkha. Mm. Therefore, let's have some dukkha naroda. Let's be friendly. So that's the way. All right. So these are the first two. The third one now goes back to the issue of doubt. The doubt then is eradicated when, number one, we know that nobody's going to clean it up for us. Number two, that we can do that ourselves. And then number three, that we have all of the, uh, the devices, the path, the method that we need to do it. So that we have what is called knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path of the Buddha. This is the third fetter, and the eradication of that third fetter then starts us from, uh, the, let us say, getting up to that point of understanding what is and is not the path. That's the, the, the path of Sotapan. And then that knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path is what gives us that understanding that, oh, it's all right to screw up because screwing up is not dukkha. Unless I want to make it dukkha. That screwing up is just a learning experience. And that way, uh, even if the monk does uh, wrongdoing, then he will go to the teacher, he'll explain what happened, and he'll make retribution. Because the, 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 the point about resolving and making retribution and making up for it is also of uh, the divestment of it, or we can say, I'm just not going to do that anymore. But we have to see it as a mistake as a mistake. If we hide him from the mistakes, all that just means is that I'm just going to keep that one so that I can do it again later. 
but opening that stuff up and recognizing mistake as a mistake, and now we can be finished with it. So this is actually then the path of soda pond, and that as the soda pond increases with this understanding of uh, that we want to look at our mistakes, we begin to get very devoted to looking for dukkha. We get very devoted for listening to uh, the, the Dhamma and thinking about the Dhamma. We begin to have very wholesome thoughts about the Dhamma, thinking about the Dhamma much of the time. And because of that, we get really, really enthusiastic. And then the final stage, stage number seven, is the knowledge of great delight. Hey, I could do this. I mean, that real delight that we're building up, it builds and it builds and until it's the, the total fruit of the soda pond. And it is fruit because there's great benefit. We begin to live our lives in a, com in a completely different way. But that doesn't mean that we're finished with screw-ups. We're going to continue to screw up. We're going to continue to want things we can't have. We're going to, but we're going to catch it. We're going to continue to do things that uh, are causing other people harm. But we're going to catch it because that's what we're looking for. We're looking for how to, how to get out of that. So even though there are four stages of enlightenment in the Pali, the Sotapan, the Sotagam, the Anagam, and the Arahat, Basically, this soda pond is 90% of the effort, 90% of the path. It's almost like once you've gotten up to the top, the rest of the journey is downhill. It's easy after this. Totally. Yeah. The hard part was getting the mind into shape to where to say, hot dog, it's okay to screw up because I'm going to learn something from this. Let's find that dukkha. Let's get rid of it. Let's throw it out. And that means that uh, that now things have gotten easier. Before it was old me, there's that dukkha again. <laughs> you don't have that eradication of the doubt. Now that the doubt is says that when that, we can say, aha, I got you again. I see you again. All right. So that's that enthusiasm, the joy of seeing our screw ups. Wow, I don't have to do that anymore. That's the kind of attitude that we gain. And so this is the path. Um, and so one who is actually on the path or in, in it, this is why we recall in the flow. That in fact, another way, they talk about it stream entry. I think that's, that's a combination of two mistakes. One mistake is the translation mistake out of the Pali into the English. But the other mistake is, is not recognizing that, that this is a play on words. And the play on words is, 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 is not entering the stream, it's entering a flood. Because sensory input comes in great gobs. There's just so much cause and effect happening all the time that we couldn't possibly take it all in. But the, but the humans are even worse in the sense that they take a little bit and then they process it and they think about it. They get a visual image, then that impacts us. It only takes a second or two. But that second or two, we're not paying attention to what's actually going on. We're spending our time thinking and processing it called perception. But when we get into sensory awareness, that means we're just here with the input and we become almost overwhelmed with the amount of input 
that's coming in because we're not taking a little bit in processing. We're paying attention to the whole show. Wow, what a whole lot is going on. <laughs> and so this opening up and getting into the reality of the moment through our senses, rather than spending all of our time thinking about it, that we're actually uh, looking and observing and seeing what's going on both inside and outside. And so this is the fruit of the soda pond, is that great joy of being in the present moment and getting a big kick out of it. So that's that's that the, the path. And you can see the various stages of it. That we the first thing that we've got to do is get that um, that confidence that no matter how this mind gets screwed up. We can clean that out. All we have to do is remember to look. All we have to do is remember to ah, oh, there you are again. Oh, out you go. And so energy effort becomes a skill, and this skill ripens into energy. It starts off a lot of effort, but it, but. When we're getting good at it, we can say that Duke is ah, out and it just just goes out easy because we've got the effort. We've got the effort, let us say, skillful now. Totally. I think a big thing for me this week was also like what I remembered or I was again listening to you talking to Chris, I think, and you saying that like you have the power to just throw it out. You know, it's because it can be so easy to be like, Oh, there's so much, and it's like, oh, I can't. It's just too much, or whatever. You know? But that's just an unwholesome thought. That's just yet another unwholesome thought. That's all that is. A wholesome thought would say, ah, I can do it. Never mind that thought. But if we have one defeating thought after another defeating thought after another defeating thought, then we think that we are defeated. That there's too much. No, it's not. It's just one more thought. Just one more. Just one more. Or is this one going to be wholesome or is this one going to be unwholesome? That's the question. Things don't pile up. Things don't pile up. <laughs> they don't. They don't pile up. They just here they are and then they're gone and here they are again and then they're gone and here they are again. There's no pile. It's gone. <laughs> that's the that's the nature of the past. The past does not pile up. Everything keeps turning. I mean, that they've talked about that. What happens when we when we solve the riddle of help to the point that longevity gets stretched way out into the future? So that people live, what, 300, 500, 1,000, 3,000 years, et cetera, like that? Okay, what's going to happen? A lot of those people who could live 3,000 years are going to get wiped out. <laughs> we need to have renewal. We need to have something new going on all the time. That that's what cause and effect is all about, is things are always new, always new, always new. But the but Western mentality is especially has this quality of no things pile up. No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't pile up. 
it's just one unwholesome thought after another unwholesome thought after another. And you can change it right now. Just all of that goes. Here's an example of that. You probably heard this maybe before. That error, how long darkness can stay in a cave. Thousands and years, no lights come into that cave. So the darkness has gotten pretty strong after thousands of years, right? So that means that when when a um, a cave um, uh, explorer takes one of those new lead high powered flashlights and brings it into that cave, is the darkness going to say, "Hey man, turn off. This is a dark place." Is the darkness going to say, "Go away, light"? No, it can't. It can't do that. <laughs> there, darkness is not something that piles up. It's just dark. You turn a light on, the darkness is gone. <laughs> the same thing with the mind. You throw, you put a wholesome thought in the mind, the unwholesome thought is gone. It doesn't matter how long it's been there. Doesn't matter how many times we repeat that unwholesome thought over and over again. As soon as you bring a wholesome thought in, all of those unwholesome thoughts are gone, just like darkness leaves when you turn the light on. That's incredible. That's a entirely, entirely different new. Uh, that's a new way of viewing things. It's really incredible. It really is, isn't it? Because this gives you power. This gives you the power. I can change it because it's temporary anyway. That it was my delusion that things were heavy and big and permanent and important. <laughs> yeah, that is that is something. Yeah, all right. So remember that about the light and the dark, yeah. the cave. Yeah, that's a good one, because all you have to do is turn a light on and darkness is gone. <laughs> so, you know, this has been a really good talk. I've really enjoyed this, and I think that we've gotten some good information for you here. So keep practicing. Keep enjoying. Never mind. Start again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. All my heart. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you later. See you. See you. Thank you again. Appreciate it.